It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. It's true. Welcome to the show. <laughs> it's November 4th. It's the day after Election Day or day one of the post-election day, or day two of the election period, whatever you want to call it. I don't know when it's going to end. Uh, And so my promise to you on all of this is that I will attempt my best to give you uh, nothing that's speculative. I'm not going to say, you know, uh, well, it looks like he's going to win this one, and uh, I think this is what's going to happen. I'm going to try to steer clear of all of that because uh, this year, in case everybody hasn't uh, been aware, uh, all of the conventional wisdom has been blown up. So uh, whether it's the polling, the media, the talking heads, um, the turnout numbers, the the racial breakdown of the votes, all of this stuff is uh, has been upended. We are seeing a realignment of the political parties. It's happening. It's been happening for a while. Uh, I've had my suspicions that we're watching it. Now I'm convinced. So Uh, And I know that that's kind of speculative, but it's not really because it's happening. We are in the middle of it and you can see it happening. So what I'm going to do, though, is go over some of the unknowns right now, go over some of the knowns, but also give you different segments here based on uh, different races. So uh, first, though, I always want to start by doing what I do every episode, which is to thank patrons of the show like Dustin, Deborah, Josh, Joseph, Greg, Luella, Richard, Timbo, Bill, and Bob, thanks so much for the support. I couldn't do the show without you guys. Shows made possible by patrons like those fantastic folks. You can be a patron too. You just go to thepetecalendarshow.com, click the link up at the top there, and become a patron, and you get exclusive content, and you get bumper stickers as well. And there's going to be a gift going out soon at the end of the year. So, uh, oh, I've said too much. So, uh, check that out. Uh, Also, If the election has now got you convinced that you need to move out of wherever you live because uh, all the crazies are taking over, then what you need to do is call my realtor, Rowena Patton. She's my realtor. Now, I've been endorsing Rowena Patton for almost a decade. Uh, We are buying our house using Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team, and I highly recommend that you do as well. If you're looking to sell your house, Rowena outsells 99% of the realtors in the state of North Carolina. She is the only agent that I called. She's the only agent you should call if you're buying or selling. Okay, 333-4483, mountainhomehunt.com is the website. Uh, and uh, then start packing because she's going to get your, holds, your home sold very, very fast. Uh, all right, so first off, in North Carolina, just some general sort of overview before I get into uh, some of the specific races. Um. Democrats lost in North Carolina with a 75% turnout. Think about that. This is record-setting turnout. Never before has North Carolina seen a 75% turnout. And what's the conventional wisdom? That when you have high turnout, Republicans lose. This has been the argument that the Democrats... And the media, but I repeat myself, they've been making this argument for years, usually in the case of redistricting, usually in the case of uh, early voting hours, 
uh, absentee balloting, like anything that Democrats try to do that make it, quote, easier to vote, and Republicans would argue easier to commit fraud, um, anything that they want to do, they always say that opposition to their idea is simply because Republicans don't want people voting. And the reason they don't want people voting is because if people vote, then that means Republicans will lose. And so confident in this message, right, that they they have no problem going on the record and saying it in media interviews, making campaigns about it. You have top law enforcement officials making this same argument. But what did we learn now in North Carolina? 75% turnout and Democrats lose and lose pretty badly in some cases. So hopefully now we can put that argument on the shelf. I doubt it will happen because there will still be media people that give them airtime for their uh, for their arguments, like for those assertions. Um, now, there is there is a caveat here because I've seen some argue that, you know what, if um, if we didn't have covid, if Trump wasn't. Uh, hamstrung by his COVID response, then uh, maybe uh, he would have won more states. And as of this recording right now on this podcast, I don't know who's going to win the presidency. Both of the campaigns are both saying that they are uh, they can win the remaining uh, states that are out there in the electoral college votes. I don't know what's uh, what's what yet. So I'm waiting for some of the dust to settle, see the developments, and we'll circle back to that. Um, And honestly, like, this is a recording, so it's a podcast, it's not live radio. And I know, like, every every fiber of my radio being wants me to be able to tell you, this is breaking news, here it is. But this this is a podcast, so (laughs) I don't do that anymore. So what I can say, though, is that there is speculation that uh, had there been no COVID, Trump would have won in a cakewalk. I'm not so sure that that's the case. Why? Well, the other day or last night, I should say, I was uh, I was part of the coverage uh, team, a very small part of the coverage team down in Charlotte on uh, WBT radio. And there is a former state lawmaker down there uh, named Trisha Cotham. And she was talking about the uh, the Trump team's get out the vote efforts versus the Democrats get out the vote effort. And she's a Democrat. She's she was a Democratic state lawmaker. And um, she was talking about how Democrats basically surrendered their get out the vote operation and that the Trump team did not. Their traditional get when you say get out the vote effort, what does that mean? Things like knocking on doors, you know, phone banking, making phone calls to people. Yes, holding rallies and events and such. But also, you know, organizing, you know, uh, van pools and stuff like that, getting people uh, to the polls, getting them to go vote. And Democrats sort of seeded the field on that because COVID. So I'm not sure if you take COVID away, that that automatically means Trump does even better or Republicans do even better, only because the Democrats would obviously campaign differently. Right. But this is where they kind of screwed themselves. Democrats did. Because of their focus on COVID and the risks, and I've been talking about this for a while, uh, based off of a Gallup survey that was done over the summer, actually, that found uh, Democrats, more so than Republicans, way more so than Republicans, uh, have a wild misperception about the risks of catching and dying from COVID. 
They think that younger people get it way more and die from it all the time. And they think older people are about, uh, you know, uh, just as likely to die from it. When in fact, those numbers are inverted, right? Older people, way more vulnerable. Younger people, not so vulnerable. But what does that do? It, there's a, there's this feedback loop going on. You have Democratic politicians, and let's assume that, I mean, this is what the Gallup survey says, that people who are Democrats, they, you know, they tend to have this misperception of the risk. So not only are they making policy, but they're also reporting on it because they tend to be reporters and media. They tend to be Democrats. So they 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 already have this idea. There is this built in assumption. And you can hear it, by the way, in a lot of the questions that Governor Cooper gets asked during his um, covid updates. Right. It's sort of baked into the cake is this assumption that, oh, my God, we're all going to die. So. Now it makes some bit of sense when you know the survey numbers. So I'm not going to get into like why there's this misperception. All we need to know for today is that it exists. So you have the elected leadership, you have media, but you also have the voters, right? You have voters and you also have unaffiliated, not just Democratic, but unaffiliated voters who, if they lean Democrat, they're going to be more likely to have that misperception as well. Okay, so if you eliminate COVID, they, they campaign as normal, but... With COVID in place, Democrats can't exactly go out and tell their voters and the media, hey, go knock on doors. Hey, uh, you know, go hold rallies and do events. They can't do that because they're the very ones who are, you know, really the worst offenders when it comes to this. You know, I know people call it like Karens. I don't like the term Karens. I prefer uh, Grubers. I prefer the term Gruber named for Rolf Gruber from Sound of Music, the little the, the boyfriend who became the little Nazi kid who blew the whistle on the family to right to expose them when they were running uh, from the Nazis when they were at the Abbey. Anyway, um, Grubers, they like you can't tell Grubers that you need to go do these things because they've been Grubering everybody else. They've been scolding everybody else. So they, they, they kind of painted themselves into a bit of a corner on this. Uh, because they're telling everybody, don't do these things. Meanwhile, Republicans are like, you know what, we're going to do these things. And so their get-out-the-vote efforts kind of swamped the the Democrats, uh, which is odd for North Carolina, because usually the Democrats have a better ground game. That's always been the case in my career that I've watched for 20-something years. That's always been the case. So this was unique, sort of like Old Grouch's military surplus, a unique store in downtown Clyde on Main Street. Old Grouch's military surplus. Uh, if you are looking for Christmas gifts, by the way, for somebody who's hard to buy for, but you know they're into like vintage military stuff or whatever, or um, maybe you have stuff that you are trying to get rid of, but you don't know what to do with it, bring it on over to Old Grouch's military surplus. Also, by the way, they've got all sorts of winter gear, cold weather gear and clothing, uh, all sizes, uh, wool sweater, uh, sweaters, military field jackets, uh, wool and fleece toboggans and socks and Gore-Tex jackets. You're going to find this stuff cheaper uh, than you're going to get it at most outdoor stores as well. At Old Grouch's Military Surplus, they got backpacks, ammo cans. This is a great idea. Ammo cans for storage. It's a great idea. You can pack them with stuff and then give them as a gift. So, uh, plus also, obviously, tons of real U.S. military surplus. For more than three decades, Old Grouch's military surplus on Main Street in downtown Clyde. Shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and at oldgrouch.com. 
So uh, what else? Oh, Alexandra DeSanctis. She is a writer at uh, National Review. She says, if Trump loses, he has nobody to blame but himself. These tight margins could easily be going the other way had he handled the first debate like he did the third or changed his COVID rhetoric even slightly. These are not hard things to do, but of course, this is Trump we're talking about. I think that's fair, by the way. I think that's fair um, because he did, like, he outperformed. Hang on a second. I have the, here is uh, Adrian Gray, the center-right strategist for AGC Research. He used to work for the George W. Bush administration and the RNC. And he broke down the Republican share of non-white vote the non-white vote in presidential elections going back to 1952. Now get this, in 1952, one out of five uh, votes for Republicans were non-white people. And then in 1956, it was 39%. And then 1960, it was 32%. And then after 1960, it drops to 6%. And then 12, 13, 15, 10 13, 18, 11. By the way, that 18 was 1988, Ronald Reagan's re-election, 18%. So almost back up to the uh, 21%. Um, but 12%, 9%, 17, 10, 11. In 2016, Trump got 21% of the non-white vote. And this year, it's 26%. Now that's preliminary, but that's 26%. That is higher than it has been in, what, six decades for Republicans? That's a concern for Democrats. That's a huge concern. I have been saying this for years. If African Americans, the black voters in America, if they voted like any other racial demographic, Democrats would never win these, uh, these at-large races ever again. They'd be shut out. So reliant are they on that voting block. Also, down in Florida, which uh, went for Trump early, but then people were like, I'm not so sure. And yeah, the calling of the races, like this is, it's it, it was such a joke last night. But um, Hispanics in Miami, Dade, went for Trump. And there was a Democratic strategist that was quoted uh, as citing a backlash to Black Lives Matter and the Antifa stuff, um, saying that they got obliterated by Hispanics and that the defund the police slogan just killed them. Yeah, defund the police. We tried to, look, we tried to tell people, right? When all of this started ramping up, we tried to tell people, and and this is this was the concern, was that Democrats were blinded by the momentum of what they thought was the movement. And so they just, you know, they latched on and went went along with it. Much like they criticized the right for going along with Trumpism. They did the same thing with BLM and Antifa and the defund the police. But Hispanics, particularly those who come from countries that have firsthand experience with police departments that don't exist, for example, Right. They are very acutely aware of what it looks like when there is not law and order. They are acutely aware of the Che Guevara history. So when they see you celebrating this guy, they know what that means in a way that you don't. They do. And so they rejected it. Uh, they rejected it, uh, which is good. That's very good from my perspective. Very good. Uh, all right. What else? Oh, 
uh, U.S. Senate race. Let me move on over here to the uh, <clears throat> to the Congress. In the U.S. Senate, North Carolina's U.S. Senate, Tom Tillis declared victory last night. Um, he's up by a, a bigger margin now than he was up over than he beat Kay Hagan by. By the way, um, and so he declared victory. Now, when he started his speech, he said that he was waiting on a call. They were hanging around waiting on a call from his opponent, Cal Cunningham. Um, but Cunningham never called, which, you know, to be fair, Cal is more of a text messaging kind of a guy, right? He, he, <laughs> oh, I kid, I kid the campaign, which was really a remarkable campaign. If you think about it, they were up, you know, 11 points, which if you believe the polls on that, I mean, how could you today? I mean, that's the other thing too. The big takeaway here is the polling industry in America is just garbage. Uh, we, you know, th- this is sort of the clarifying cleansing property of Trumpism, which is, uh, that he has exposed so many of our institutions to be just steaming piles of garbage. And polling is another one of them. You know, how do you, like, so, like, well, I'm seeing some of these states that they were calling for Biden by like 11 points. I think they called Florida uh, for, you know, some ridiculous margin, eight points or something like that. And different polling outfits obviously were better than others, but uh, it's it's insanity. The way these polls were off. Now, they could say, well, if you step back and you look at all the polls, it looks like it's, you know, within the margin of error. Yeah, just like it was with Hillary Clinton. The problem is you guys use the polls, the speculative nature of polling, right? Because what are they asking? Like, you're a likely voter. Who are you going to support? But they use that as fact. And then they use that to gauge uh, where things are going. And by doing that, they set the narrative. And... I'm done with them. Like I, I, I have basically quit looking at polls. I looked at some yesterday, the day of the election. I looked at some just to see how badly some of them were going to be off. But also I wanted to see what kind of spread was going on. And in preparation for the coverage, like you need to know who's, quote, the favorite. So this way, is it a shocking surprise, you know, when somebody... Uh, uh, wins when nobody thought they would have. So you need to be aware of the polls. But do I believe them? How could you at this point, right? How could anybody believe the polls at this point? They're, they, they've just been so wrong so badly. So uh, Tillis declares victory. That was a seat they were really hoping to pick up. And it really was, I said this campaign of Cunningham's was really amazing in that they were up by, you know, 10, 11 points, whatever it was. Uh, they do their three debates, and then within hours of the final debate, we find out about the sext messages, and then within a day or two, we find out about, oh, no, he actually flew this woman from California to his home in North Carolina during a pandemic, breaking quarantines and such, has sex with her in the family bed, in his marital bed while his family is out of town, and... Then flies her back. She makes donations to his campaign. Then we find out there's a second mistress and she's all mad because, oh, my gosh, he cheated on me with this other mistress. <laughs> so, uh, so and then he goes into hiding and they thought, well, you know what? We're up by 10 points, 11 points, whatever. Let's see if we can just coast, ignore all media. Don't do any events. Right. Just just stay in hiding for as long as possible. They did like a Zoom quote, press conference. They took like four or five questions from the media. We played them. He refused to answer any questions. And then he dodges media from then on out. And then he does these like fake 
news events without inviting the news. He'll go to, he, like, drives around in a van with the Democrat logos all over it, right? Drives around in the van, shows up at some place. There's, like, four people there. Uh, he stands in front of the van. He makes some comments. They shoot some video, and they push it out on social media as if he's doing events. But he's not. He's not doing events. Because you don't, they have to make sure that he's not confronted by somebody who demands answers to their questions. And he, he, he was in a very difficult spot here, right? Because of the Army investigation against him. The Army is looking to maybe court-martial this guy or, you know, kick him out. So, because you don't, you don't get to have affairs with fellow uh, veterans' wives. That's not allowed. The, the military tends to frown upon that. So, he's under investigation for that. So he can't talk to the media about this. He can't he can't acknowledge this stuff. And it just makes him look even worse, which is kind of hard to do. I mean, really, like it's kind of hard to look worse. But he managed to do that by the way he handled it. So bang up advice, by the way, uh, by all of the comms people and advisors and campaign consultants, all those folks that got paid all that money to work on his campaign. Oh, man, Democrats were mad at him last night. Holy cow all over social media, just ripping into this guy. So he's done. I don't think we'll ever see him again. Oh, sorry. There's a prediction. I should not have made that prediction. My bad. My bad. Um, here's a prediction, though, that I can uh, be confident in making. If you go to General Equipment Rental, you're going to find the right tool for your job because that's what they specialize in. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville. They have all of the tools that you need for whatever job you need them for. Okay, whether you're talking like really large equipment, construction equipment, earth moving stuff, or you're looking for like lawn and garden equipment. And maybe you don't like a tiller. That's a great example. A tiller. You're going to go out and buy a tiller. You're not tilling your garden every single season or every single year. Maybe you just need it once and you just want to till some uh, some ground to make up a garden real quick. Go on down, rent yourself a tiller. They got air tools like in compressors, scaffolding, large power tools, small ones, basically everything. And I learned this a long time ago that if you have the right tool, whether it's working on a house or working on a car, whatever it is, if you have the right tool, you can do just about anything, especially with YouTube videos available now. Whatever the project, General Equipment Rental has the tool that you need. Uh, they are also your licensed Husqvarna and Honda Outdoor Power Equipment Sales and service provider, okay? So if you want to buy some yard equipment, they've got Husqvarna and Honda equipment there as well. General Equipment Rental in Weaverville, generalrents.com is the website, generalrents.com. And think outside your toolbox. Uh, all right, what else do we got? That was the Senate. Oh, by the way, uh, good job, everybody. $200 million that got pumped into, and that's not even counting Cal Cunningham's uh, I think he raised, what was it, like 30, 40, 50 million dollars. So basically a quarter of a billion dollars on Amy McGrath, who ran against Mitch McConnell in Kentucky, Jamie Harrison, who ran against Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, and now Cal Cunningham. So a quarter of a billion dollars that Democrats and their donors spent trying to unseat Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, and Tom Tillis, all wasted. And uh, particularly egregious uh, is the McConnell-Graham combination because uh, McGrath and Harrison, they lost combined, they lost by like 35 points to McConnell and Graham. $200 million and you lose by 35 points? 
That's outrageous. I mean, that's and in a just world, the people who manage those campaigns and people who uh, who uh, directed the donations that way, because you know the Democrats have this thing they call Act Blue, and so you donate money through this Act Blue website, and then they distribute the money as they see it, uh, they see fit. So this way, you know, it, it harnesses all of the donations uh, and it puts them into the races that are, quote, winnable. Now, you're trusting these people to make decisions on what's winnable. And if this is any indication, I would be highly suspicious of their judgment, which is why I always say if you want to donate to a candidate, donate to the candidate. Donating to a party, you don't have the kind of control. Uh, they will send the money to where they think it needs to go. And sometimes they don't make the right call on this stuff. Uh, but here's the here's the silver lining also for the Republicans on this was that that was two hundred million dollars that could have gone someplace else. That was two hundred million dollars that could have gone to actually defeat some more uh, vulnerable Republicans who, by the way, they keep the Senate. The uh, the Republican uh, Party looks like it's going to keep the U.S. Senate. They've actually also picked up some seats in the U.S. House. That was not expected. Neither of those things were expected. Um, what else? Uh, we have the oh Congress. We have the U.S. House. Uh, we had a couple of pickups by Democrats in uh, their congressional races under the new maps. And so that means no longer North Carolina is represented by 10 Republicans and three Democrats. Now it's an eight to five split. And uh, Deborah Ross finally going to get to D.C. Yay, Deborah. She ran against Richard Burr. She's a former state lawmaker for like 10, 15 years or something. And uh, so now she's finally going to get to D.C. She's where she wanted to go. And so she's going to get there under the newly redrawn district. It was, I think, George Holdings district. So she's on her way up there. It's an eight to five split uh, here in the 11th. Uh, Madison Cawthorn had no problem beating up on Mo Davis, a 12 point margin of victory, which if you believed the media and the polling before like yesterday, there were a lot of people that thought Mo Davis can win. And I was never sure of it. In fact, I was highly skeptical of it. I kept telling people, just because you put Asheville into a single congressional district doesn't mean they get to determine the outcome. And I think a lot of progressives, I think it has something to do with the mindset. Um, like, seriously, I think they like when they say, you know, I, I need to know that you're, you know, you're listening to me. I mean, you know, what they mean by that is like, listen to me, as in do what I say, like a parent tells a child. It's not like listen to me as as in, you know, hear what I'm saying, be sympathetic. No, no, it's listen to me, do what I say. And so when they say, you know, we want to make sure our voices are being heard and we want, you know, we want uh, our our representative in Congress to listen to us. What they're saying is they want to tell everybody else in the 11th Congressional District the way it should be and who should represent us, because we're Asheville. Well, smack upside the face. Uh, sorry, no, you don't get to make that call yet. You're going to have to be satisfied with ruling the roost in Buncombe County, which they are going to do. I'll get to that in a bit on the Buncombe County races. Uh, you've got uh, uh, Cawthorn winning by 12 points over Mo Davis. And uh, as I said in the past, just because Asheville was split under the last district map between the 10th and the 11th district, you put them together into one 11th district, there just aren't enough votes still in Asheville and in Buncombe County. There aren't enough votes to swing that to a Democrat, first of all. Second of all, Mo Davis is not Heath Shuler. 
I'm sorry, folks, but unless Mo Davis is going to get a scholarship to Tennessee and go play for the Washington Reds, uh, sorry, the Washington football team, unless he's going to go play in the NFL, I don't think Mo Davis, who just moved to town like a year ago, I don't think he has that kind of um, that kind of support. And especially when you start attacking half of the people in your district as rubes and uh, idiots and racists and knuckle draggers. And you talk about, you know, crushing their spine, which I like the fact that you're he's putting that on social media uh, with these, you know, violence, porn, fetish fantasies um, like he's not Heath Shuler. If you if Democrats in Asheville, if you're serious and you want to try to get a congressional representative, a Democrat into that office, what you're going to need is a blue dog. And Mo Davis ain't no blue dog. Now, you guys don't even want to associate with blue dogs. So that's the kind of candidate that might actually win in the 11th. That's not the kind of candidate that can clear a Democratic primary, however. And therein lies the dilemma for the progressives that rule the roost here in Asheville, is that they want to be able to put a progressive in there who's going to go along with all the progressive plans and policies, uh, but they want that progressive to somehow be attractive to all of these conservatives in the district. So they'll they'll... They'll jump the fence and, you know, come vote for the for the progressive candidate. Like, that's not going to happen, guys. It's, it's not going to happen. Now, I do need to address this because after the results were in and Madison Cawthorn was declared the winner by the media, he sent out a tweet. His victory tweet, you know what it said? Cry more, lib. <laughs> Good Lord. Now, of course, all of the all of the progressives and liberals and Democrats and media, but I repeat myself, everybody that voted for Mo Davis, they took this as a personal attack on them. And maybe it was. I'm not so sure, but maybe it was. I can't rule it out. I'm not speculating as to who he was targeting. I took it, though, as directed at Mo Davis. Um, so and, and to me, it makes sense because there's no love loss between these two guys. And if you think about it, like. Honestly, you know, you know, oh, my good friend from the state of whatever. Oh, my good friend from this other district. And, and these politicians, they always talk to each other like that when they're in, you know, uh, in each other's presence and they're they're on the floor and they're debating something and like, oh, my friend, this the, the gentleman from there. But you you see what he says on Twitter. He calls you a sexual assaulter, a Nazi white supremacist racist, despite the fact that Cawthorn's engaged to a biracial woman, right? Calls you a liar, says all of these terrible things about you. So I'm not sure that Davis has earned any reciprocal respect. He doesn't deserve it. And so when you win, um, this is what you tweet. Do I think it's an appropriate response for the congressman-elect? Probably not. No, I don't. Do I understand why a 25-year-old with no political experience would tweet that? Yeah, I kind of do. I kind of do. Now, what I don't understand is why people would go buy a mattress from somebody other than Mattress Man. If you're listening to this podcast, do you know how I'm able to do it? Mattress Man. It's true. Mattress Man stores. They're an advertiser. He's an advertiser. Uh, he wants to support the show and keep it going. And so if you're thinking about buying a mattress, I ask you to support him. That's how this works. Uh, and it just so happens they got great mattresses. We bought our mattress from them years before he ever did any kind of advertising with us. So uh, take it from me. We got our memory foam mattress from Mattress Man. Uh, they've got great delivery, a five-star delivery service, white glove delivery for local deliveries. Um, they do ship nationwide. 
And when you go into the store, they have sleep consultants who go through six weeks of extensive training. And uh, what they learn is all of the different ways that mattresses not only are made, but also how they affect people when they sleep. So side sleepers, back sleepers, you're going to require a different kind of mattress generally uh, because of the position that you sleep in. And so you can really maximize the comfort of your uh, of your rest. They have a 120-day comfort guarantee. So for some reason you're not satisfied, they're going to make it right. Okay. They also have the triple zero deal, zero down, zero APR for 24 months, and zero payments for 90 days. It's a win-win, win-win-win, win-win-win-win. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. All righty, so what have we gotten to? We did U.S. Senate. We did the House. Oh, Council of State. The Council of State races. Uh, all righty, so let me go through these. Uh, these are the 10 statewide offices. Uh, they make up the Council of State. There are 10 of them. We got governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, uh, North Carolina Auditor, Commissioner of Agriculture, Commissioner of Insurance, uh, Commissioner of Labor, Secretary of State, Superintendent of Public Instruction, and Treasurer. Uh, so before the election, six of those 10 seats were held by Republicans and four held by Democrats. And that remains the case. That remains the case. In fact, all of the seats that were held by Democrats seem to have been retained by Democrats, and all the seats held by Republicans were retained by Republicans. Kind of weird. Um, Roy Cooper wins. For the life of me, I don't understand why. I think it has to do with his press briefings on COVID. There are a lot of people that think he's just been super-duper fantastic when it comes to handling COVID. Um, and like this is one of the things about governing in a crisis. All an elected official has to do is not be terrible. And they usually get sort of a halo effect going on. So uh, he wins by, and the margin of uh, victory here is like 300,000 votes, or a little, well, about 250,000 votes. Uh, so 51 to 47%. Um, and by the way, before you ask, I can tell you that even if the third party candidates, the Libertarian and Constitution Party candidates, even if you took their votes and lumped them in with Danforth, he still would lose. So why did that happen? Why did that happen? I think there are a couple of reasons. Predominantly, I think that in order to win uh, in this state, you need unaffiliated voters. And I'm not sure Dan Forrest uh, made in. Well, it's obvious he did not. He did not do enough to attract unaffiliated, the quote independents. He did not do enough to attract those folks. He did fine securing the Republican voters, but he didn't broaden that base. And I think that was mainly due to the mask stuff. I think it had to do with COVID. I know this is speculation, but it's not predictive. I'm not predicting anything. I'm saying I think this is what happened. And it goes to one of, you know, the old axiom that says if you're explaining, you're losing. Well, Dan Forrest, by adopting the anti-mask position, and I'm not saying he shouldn't have, uh, that's totally his call. However, if you're going to adopt that position, which like the vast majority of North Carolinians are on board with the mask stuff, in case you aren't aware, the majority of North Carolinians and Americans are on board with masks for now and uh, and have been. Now, that we may see erosion of that support going forward, but right now, it's the more popular position. Now, you can say, well, I don't care. He should have taken a principled stand if that's what he believes in. And I agree if that's what he and he did. Right. He said, I don't believe masks work. OK, well, if you're not going to explain that to people 
why you don't think masks work, then you just come off sounding like you're a, quote, science denier, right? Or what, a mask truther or something or a maskist or so, I don't know what they call it. But um, I think he I think he did not make the case because, uh, you know, like, honestly, you don't want to be arguing masks and science. You're on the campaign trail, right? You're talking policy and politics and governing and stuff. But when you come out and say, I'm I don't believe in masks. And if I'm governor, I'm going to do away with the mask mandate. I think then that becomes the central point. And by the way, even if he didn't want that to be the central point, the media darn sure made it the central point. Anytime he did any kind of media availability, they asked him about it. And, and, and I watched him answer it, and he didn't really talk about the science behind it. And I know that that's difficult because it's science, and most people are like, oh, science, I don't care. But I think that's what really hamstrung him more than anything else, uh, because he, he, he took that position and then he would have to explain the position and the axiom, conventional wisdom, if you're explaining, you're losing. So that's the, uh, that was the, the governor's race. By the way, Roy Cooper, 2.8 million votes, and uh, that's actually not the biggest vote total in the state, in the state races. He won 2.80 million votes. Two point or two million eight hundred thousand votes. You know who got more? Steve Troxler, the agriculture commissioner, with two point eighty seven million votes. So he got seventy thousand more votes than Roy Cooper did, the agriculture commissioner. Of course, he was running against Jenna Wadsworth, who was kind of crazy. Um, and so he's going to go back. He's a Republican, so he 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 retains his seat. Who else? Uh, oh, Lieutenant Governor. This is quite the story because Mark Robinson, he came in third in the total number of votes attained. Uh, Mark Robinson, he wins as lieutenant governor, beating Yvonne Lewis Hawley, who had gotten millions of dollars from Michael Bloomberg's group. And he beat her by like a quarter of a million votes. Soundly defeated her. 52 to 48 percent. Mark Robinson, who is African-American, he, uh, you know, he kind of uh, burst onto the scene when he gave a speech to the Greensboro City Council talking about the Second Amendment. And it was unscripted, just from the heart. And he just uh, he just knocked it out of the park and he became an instant viral sensation and parlayed that now into the lieutenant governor's seat. It's really amazing. By the way, he's African-American. I think I said that. And um, for folks then who are who are saying that, oh, all of these Republicans are racist, they gave Mark Robinson 2.77 million votes. So I'm not really sure how that works. Again, you've got the voter suppression, which I would I would submit worst voter suppression ever in North Carolina. Right. Worst suppression ever. Seventy five percent turnout. Also, all the racists voted for the Republicans. Well, Mark Robinson, first black Republican elected statewide. See, they keep saying these things, but they're not true. And at some point, like this stuff breaks through. This one really hurt for me. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, it, I don't think it's going to change. But the attorney general's race, the attorney general. The, yeah, this one hurt. I mean, not as bad as, say, having a poorly functioning website might hurt your business. That would hurt a lot, which means you need Schaefer Smith. Schaefer Smith design, for real. I mean, great design can solve a lot of a website's problems. You need your website to turn up in search engine results. You want it to look professional. You want it to be user-friendly. And you know your business, but you might not know a lot about website design and maintenance. 
and security. But Schaefer Smith does. So professional services, corporate, small business, entrepreneurs, Schaefer Smith can help you all, okay? With graphics and photos, he can build you an online store, search engine optimization, website maintenance and security, does it all, he even does logos. He did the logo for the Pete Callender Show. Go to SchaeferSmith.com and get the most out of your website. That's SchaeferSmith.com. So the Attorney General's race, Josh Stein, this guy, former state lawmaker, former uh, assistant attorney general under uh, Roy Cooper, and uh, this is the guy who you know ran this campaign on. Uh, oh, I cleared the the backlog of of rape kits, uh, which is weird because Roy Cooper claimed he cleared the backlog of rape kits uh, from the state crime lab that he's in charge of. Roy Cooper made that claim in twenty sixteen in the race against Pat McCrory, and then Josh Stein uh, won the governor the uh, sorry the attorney general's race in the same year. And then he's been working to clear the backlog that Cooper apparently cleared, but didn't clear, whatever. Um, and uh, so now he's run, he ran a re-election campaign based on this. Uh, meanwhile, attacking his opponent, Jim O'Neill, the Republican, who is a uh, prosecutor. He's a DA in Forsyth County. And Jim O'Neill has like the best conviction rate for sexual assault or, and domestic violence and stuff. Uh, and he starts attacking Jim O'Neill for, you know, not getting all the rape kits tested. Like, dude, Jim O'Neill's not in charge of the crime lab. You are. It, it, really just a disgusting attack against O'Neill. But Josh Stein wins 2.68 million votes to 2.67 million votes. Yeah, 10,000 votes separate them. That's it. So maybe there will be a recount uh, in that race. We shall see. Um, next up, Beth Wood beats Anthony or Tony Street, the Republican. Uh, Beth Wood is the Democratic incumbent auditor, um, and she barely ekes out a victory over him uh, by about two percentage points. Uh, I don't have a problem, Beth Wood. She seemed with her. She seems like a really straight shooter. I give her credit. She came on the show uh, a couple times over the course of the last few years, so I, I, I applaud her for that. And she seems like she's taken on. Democrats as well as Republicans when their books don't work at, you know, at the local uh, governing levels. So uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, I will tell you also, I voted for her. Tony Street, uh, guy's got like a stalking charge against him or whatever. And I was like, hey, that not good. Um, Agriculture Commissioner Steve Troxler, as I mentioned, top votainer in the state. Uh, Mike Causey, the incumbent commissioner of insurance, he beats Wayne Goodwin handily by four points. Thank goodness. Mike Causey, uh, remember, he was the one who helped bust up the corruption sting against Greg Lindbergh. So maybe that had some positive effect on uh, him. But also Wayne Goodwin's kind of he's kind of odd. Anyway, Commissioner of Labor, Josh Dobson beating Jessica Holmes for the right to put his photo and name in all of our elevators <laughs> because Sherry Berry <laughs> is retired. Um, Elaine Marshall. So that Sherry Berry was a Republican. Dobson, a Republican, seems to be holding the seat. Uh, so that stays in Republican hands. Uh, Elaine Marshall, Democratic incumbent for secretary of state. She's staying as well. She beats back the challenge from E.C. Sykes. Um, although he got close, he came within a point, but uh, it was not enough. And uh, Catherine Truitt, Republican, beats Jen Mangrum for 
superintendent of public instruction. So for now, for the only this, she's only the second Republican to hold that seat ever. You know who the first was? Mark Johnson, the guy who's currently in the office right now, but did not seek re-election. He was he ran for lieutenant governor. Um, treasurer Dale Falwell, Republican incumbent, he keeps his seat as well. Uh, he got the backing of the State Employees Association, uh, the union. Don't call it a union, and they did a lot of work for him. Uh, and he he's been a he's been a solid treasurer. He really has. Uh, and of course, you know, he would come on the program when I was on the radio, like every month. So, uh, and he helped uh, people find missing cash. You know, he set up the whole. Can't, you know, hey, you got missing cash. Check it out. I think it's uh, nccash.com, something like that. Uh, what else? That was Council of State. Oh, General Assembly. The General Assembly. This is the one that I was kind of worried about the most, sincerely. I was worried that the, Repu- or, yeah, that the Republicans were going to lose, that Democrats were going to be able to flip the House and or the Senate. They did not. Thankfully, they did not. The House... Uh, is now 69 Republicans and 51 Democrats. Democrats actually lost four seats. Now, there's something to be said here for the fact that, you know, 2018, two years ago, Democrats made a lot of gains. And you could argue that they made those gains because that was the low-hanging fruit, right? Those were the easy races to pick off. Now it's going to be much harder because now you're trying to go into areas that are truly purple and or, or even more conservative. And uh, if you don't have good candidates, then, uh, you know, all is lost for you in that race. And so 69 to 51 is the new makeup of the House. So they still have a majority um, and Democrats lose four seats over in the state Senate. Republicans lose one seat, but they maintain their majority there as well. Twenty eight to 22. Uh, So they keep the majority. And that means what? Uh, They will be in charge of still doing the budgets, but also more importantly, and this was like, this is a loss, a big loss for Eric Holder. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, but big loss for Eric Holder and his whole redistricting effort. They pumped so much money. They pumped millions and millions of dollars into our state to try to flip the legislature because this year, is the redistricting year. This year they draw the maps and Democrats need control of the maps so they can draw themselves more favorable districts so they can win more congressional seats, they can win more legislatures and keep themselves ensconced in power uh, for for a decade. That's that's why this was such an important election, uh, especially for the General Assembly in North Carolina to maintain its majority. And so they do. So we have a, a balance of uh, power, a check and balance, if you will, uh, in the state with the legislative versus the uh, executive branch. Cooper is still the governor. General Assembly is still Republican. So four more years of what we've seen so far, I guess you could say. Uh, also, judicial races at the state level, the judicial races, all of them that were on the ballot, the Supreme Court races and the uh, Court of Appeals races all went Republican. And uh, I got to wonder if the law and order, the crime issue uh, got a lot of people to vote Republican, because generally speaking, that's what does it. And when people see their cities being burned and looted and they see district attorneys and judges uh, just turning loose all of these uh, uh, vandals and uh, you know violent uh, people from the protests and such, when they see this happening, 
They don't want that. Uh, it's why North Carolina, by the way, under Democrats, when they ran the, uh, the state, it's why they got rid of the partisan labels on the ballots is because they realized people were splitting tickets. They would go and vote Democrat and then they would go and vote Republican for all the judicial races. So for a long time, we had it's true. For a long time in North Carolina, we had a lot of uh, elected offices that were held by Democrats, even though the judgeships were Republican, because people knew they wanted Republicans on the bench. Okay, people knew it. Um, Here's something I know. I sleep way deeper, way better when I take my CBD oil drops before I go to bed. I do. I notice the difference. Last night, because I was up so late, I forgot to take them. And uh, I did not sleep as soundly. I just didn't. Uh, CBD oil, uh, people take it for all sorts of reasons. I take it for deeper sleep. Uh, you can add this natural alternative, Grower's Hemp Full Spectrum Hemp Extract. You add it to your daily routine and find out what your reasons are. Are you looking for better quality of life, a balanced state of mind, a positive mental outlook, immune system resilience, uh, maybe lower tension, right? You can get Growers Hemp Full Spectrum Hemp Extract for 20% off right now by going to their website, growershemp.com, and use the promo code PETE. Get 20% off at growershemp.com. These are farmers in North Carolina. Um, full disclosure, the farmer that uh, started the company is my brother-in-law down east of Charlotte. And uh, he got together with another farmer, and they work with farmers just like themselves, and they control the whole process from seed to shelf, which means what? Quality control. You get the best quality. And uh, pricing. You get great prices on CBD because a lot of CBD products are way too expensive. By the way, they not only have the drops, but they also have balms. So you can use it as a topical. And uh, they've got uh, like uh, lozenges. Yeah, they've got a, a ton of different products, and they want to help you find the right one for you. Okay, so the best quality at a price that's affordable. They know you probably have a lot of questions about CBD, so Growers Hemp will guide you every step along the way. They want you to be happy and satisfied. From North Carolina farmers to your home, growershemp.com. Promo code PETE for 20% off. Growers Hemp, it's about the hemp, not the hype. All right, and finally, we have a look at the local races here in Buncombe County. Uh, the Buncombe County Commission It's going to be under complete control of the Asheville Democrat machine. I'm sorry to say, but this was predicted. I predicted this last year uh, only because we kind of knew because of the way the maps were drawn. Robert Presley ran for chairman, um, but he retains his district seat uh, for the time being because he just ran for chairman. He wasn't up for reelection this time around. Um, and so because they're staggered terms. So next. So two years from now uh, um, you know, is when he would stand for reelection. But he now is the only Republican remaining on the board of county commissioners um, because of the way the districts are drawn. And it really is that simple. All of the Democrats won by like 20 points apiece. Um, this is and I think he's going to have a really hard time. Uh, getting reelected unless these district lines get redrawn somehow by the state general assembly. Um, so here, so here's the deal. Here's what happened, right? A couple of years ago, the general assembly said, Hey, Buncombe, uh, you're going to have districts. And, uh, they drew the lines and they said, the lines are going to be the same as the house districts, 114, 115, and 116. And so they're the same. And so they synced them. They linked them in the law. 
Well, when the courts came in last year and said, hey, you guys got to redo all of your districts, uh, they redrew these lines for the House districts. And in the, and in the process, they redrew the county commission lines, too. And what they did was they made them, quote, fair for Democrats. And by fair, they meant no Republicans get elected. And so now on the Buncombe County Commission, despite the fact that Republicans make up like what, 25, 30 percent of all the registered voters in the county, we get one. I'm not a Republican, but they get one uh, Republican representative on the county commission or as Democrats call it fair, fair representation. That's what they have now. Um, This is amazing to me that despite years of multi-million dollar corruption at the county government with Democrats at the helm, Buncombe voters prefer to reelect Democrats rather than Republicans. Indictments, imprisonment, it's all still better than a GOP elected official, apparently. <laughs> it's, it's all still better. Uh, so Joe Belcher loses, uh, Anthony Penland loses, uh, and you know Presley lost as well. Um, and Glenda uh, Weinert lost uh, in her district race. Um, and that's unfortunate. It's the same thing, though, that we see over at the Asheville City Council, where you, if you're a Republican, you don't get representation. You don't have a chance uh, in Hades of getting on that uh, council either. What I do find interesting is that the Asheville City Council is now going to be completely female because Keith Young, the incumbent African-American Democratic male, uh, he lost. He came in fourth. And uh, I am reminded of the big debate over district elections. And Keith Young said that he had figured out how to win in the at-large system uh, that the Democratic machine had basically set up. And so that's why he rejected the district election concept. And now he lost. See, if you had district elections, Keith, you might still have a seat. Just throwing it out there. That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. Uh, go to the Pete Callender Show. Think about becoming a patron of the program. Think about giving the show a positive review. And subscribe, of course, to the podcast. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>